These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cinema A to B. Today, Alec, this is a good one. Skyfall, the 2012 Bond film uh, with Daniel Craig and shot by uh, our favorite DP on the pod, Mr. Roger Deakins, and directed by a heck of a director in uh, mm-hmm. Sam Mendes. So this is my favorite Daniel Craig Bond film by far in a lot of different ways. I really like Casino Royale. Quantum of Solace was good. Spectre was fine. And No Time to Die was also fine. But this kind of something resonated with me with this. I mean, some of it obviously is, I think Javier Bardem is an amazing actor and plays a really good, bad guy. You have a couple moments of transition and it feels a lot more of a personal film for bond in this, as opposed to some of some of the other ones, it's less about the entire world and more about his character, which, so I think kind of, continues to bring kind of where they started with Casino Royale of kind of him getting his, you know, second kill and become a double O to kind of at this point where he's truly become Bond, you know, like he's wrestled with some of his past or wrestled with kind of some of his, you know, feelings of authority with M and those kind of things and kind of dealt with the whole scenario. But this film is gorgeous and Obviously, Sam Mendes, I'm going to talk about it, but I feel like some of the shots in here him are precursors to what he does in 1917, you know, several many years later. Because, man, when he's in Scotland and things are on fire, I really got a lot of that same feeling that you did when the the guys were in that city that was getting like shelled out in flares or whatever, like kind of the descent into hell kind of feel to it. And like this felt not the exact same, but felt very close to that. Yeah. So this is a, this is a Roger Deakins technique and it's been used in more than just those two films oh, yeah, I'm sure. because the same way that he created the, the fire in Skyfall and then flares and f- frankly, fire, in 1917 he also used to create the fire of the oil well sequences in jarhead oh yeah mm-hmm. which is also another collaboration between mendez and and deacons and so he uses these uh these huge grids of light extremely powerful lights and they're 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 a very vibrant yellowy orange and they've got a flicker effect to them and then they typically CGI the fire in post the, the, the flames usually not even really there. And he reuses it again and again. It is, there's a, in fact, I think there's more than three of these films with the Deacons has done where he's used this, this technique of, because what you do is you get that amazing effect where everybody's silhouetted against flame. And it is, it's, it's exquisite. Yeah. I think, but I think the stuff in Skyfall is my favorite when I'm thinking about that. As far as the the fire, mm-hmm. that, the, that the flare classic. sequence in 17 is great. But yeah, the, as far as them being backlit and their silhouettes against flame, I think you're, I think you're right. I think Skyfall's like the best of the bunch. So 
the opening sequence is really good. Like the kind of like quick little scenario that then sets up everything. While this is my favorite of, of the five films that Craig has done, I think the opening sequence of Casino Royale is actually my favorite. That little like section where he's, you know, running across construction stuff or whatever like that, that kind of individual one. I really like that one. I think the most. Um, and isn't the opening credit sequence for Casino with Chris Cornell? Yes, that is. Yes. Chris yeah. Cornell did that one. Yeah. And then so, this is Adele. This is Adele yeah. for Skyfall. Yeah. Which is really good too. So no, and it's good. Well, oh, so I mean, I'm not the, not the opening sequence crawl, even though. Right. No, yes, you mean Chris the Cornell, opening action sequence. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's, but this one's really, I mean, obviously really good. The whole train sequence, the launching uh, basically himself, a uh, motorbike over top of a railing to get onto the, the train. Like those are just, that's a, just a cool moment. They are. They are. Now, was there ever a moment, was there ever a time where Casino Royale was your favorite? Or has it always been Skyfall? I mean, obviously, until I saw Skyfall, I, I preferred Casino Royale over. Okay, there's, there was somebody else that I was that I was conversing with about these that I think their favorite is uh, Casino Royale. And it's about 50-50 with people I talk about on which which and it's between those two films. It's not. It's not um, Spectre. It's not Quantum. And then it's not No Time to Die. Um, this is also my favorite of the Craig Bond films. And I think this might be my favorite Bond, Bond film, film, period. Yeah. I can see that. I know everybody usually points to like something like Goldfinger as kind of the quintessential Bond. And I appreciate that. Um, and it was, it does predate this obviously by decades. And so it's kind of first on the scene, but this to me feels like kind of Bond perfected, but I have to give a tip of the cap to Goldeneye because mm -hmm. Javier Bardem's character feels like a, a, a refresher kind of even better version of 006 played by Bean, Sean Bean. And so it's like they, they weren't afraid to revisit that, you know, another him going up against another double O. Now, unfortunately they kind of ruined that with the sequels with making Bardem's character like a, another pawn basically in the machine, which I didn't like. I, I thought that lessened him. I, it would have made more sense to me if he was just operating as this rogue agent by himself and it didn't answer to anybody. So I feel like the, the sequels kind of hurt his character in a lot of ways when they kind of retconned him almost. Cause it didn't, maybe they had, that was the direction they were explaining on going the whole time, but it felt like a retcon and it wasn't a good one. No. Retcons very rarely are. Yeah, this was, so this was 2012. This was the same year as, uh, is Dark Knight Rises. And those were the two films that I had the ex great expectations with. I think I'd had higher expectations for Dark Knight Rises than this. And this ended up being my favorite film from, from 2012. And it, it was because you kind of touched on it. It was because it got really, really intimate at the end. It got small. It didn't try to get bigger. It didn't try to have the big a bigger set piece than like mm. Spectre. They, they went really micro in the estate at Skyfall. And I was kind of hoping that Dark Knight Rises would have done the same thing and went more micro at the end. I think it would have, I don't know. It just felt more, more powerful, like more emotionally. I, I think I would have been able to connect with it better, but this was the movie that it kind of, 
I resonated with more. Um, and yeah, that moment when they stop in the highlands and kind of step out for a little bit and kind of have a conversation about his upbringing and being brought into the fold. And then that there's that low drone kind of ambient score that kicks in and the, they, they travel off and it's like the tone shifts completely in the film. And I remember sitting in the theater going, this is about to be, this is the moment where this film is transcending being a bond film Mm -hmm. into something else entirely. And that's how I feel about Skyfall. I, I feel like it's one of the, one of the better movies ever made in the action kind of spy genre. It just happens to be a bond movie. Cause I think it, it feels like it goes above and beyond what anybody even had ever envisioned f- for James Bond. Yeah. I mean, you, cause it's the, it's one of the few that really gets delves into him and makes it personal for him. You know, most of the other ones, again, he's saving the world or doing, doing something else, but it's that getting that micro of going back to his roots, kind of learning about some of these tidbits of, you know, when he's talking with Albert Finney, not him, but um, when Dame Judi Dench is talking with Albert Finney about, and he's just like, you know, after after his parents died, he went kind of in these catacombs or whatever, this hiding place for two days, and when he came out, he was no longer a boy or something along those that that statement along those lines. Um, I do find it interesting that he actually tried to, he he was basically done with Bond after this, like. I think they had to talk him into to doing two more. And there's even that statement when he's talking with uh, Ray Fines about, I think Rafe was like, you like getting too old for this or that's not the phrase, but it's kind of that feeling of, you know, you're getting too old for this. And kind of, I thought that was a nice little nod of, especially if it was going to be his exit film, but obviously came back for, for more, probably nice paychecks or something else. I know he, you know, I know, he did a couple interviews where Daniel Craig was talking about the fact that he's like, I can't do anymore. It's just, it's too tough. You get, you know, doing your own stunts, you get hurt doing these fight scenes, you get hurt. He is. And the age I am, it takes a lot longer to kind of get back to those. Or, you know, I start hurting myself in ways that just don't heal right anymore. After about 35, like it takes us guys quite a bit longer to heal up from injuries. Like you can't, you don't typically just bounce back and he was well into his forties and then 50 plus pushing for at least one of the last two. And he was in, you know, peak physical condition, but even at that age, like, yeah, the toll. And cause he was, he was the, he is the most physical bond mm-hmm. we've ever had. What he was asked to do is so far beyond anybody else, anybody. I mean, Connery, Connery's kind of known as a, as the, the, the OG physical bond, as far as more fight fighting, like hand to hand kind of stuff versus like Roger Moore. And then, um, Dalton had some stunt work too, but only got two shakes at it before they, kind of Put cut the ice. cord on that. And so, yeah, he, uh, I don't blame him for not wanting to suit up again and, and put his body through that. Cause it, it is brutal. I was just watching a, like looking at the upcoming documentary about Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double from Harry Potter that got 
paralyzed on one of the last two movies. Oh and goodness. it's about his relationship with him and um, he's helped him out and stuff. Yeah. He's, he's in a wheelchair. Um, I don't remember which it was one of the deathly hallows movies. A stunt went horribly wrong. Yeah. This stuff gets dangerous in a hurry. And that is a, that is a director and a producer's number one responsibility, by the way, is uh, the safety of their cast and crew. The rest of it doesn't matter. If somebody gets hurt or killed on your set, uh, that's it's game over. But going back, so apparently there was a rumor that Albert Finney's character, the caretaker of the Bond estate, was actually supposed to be Sean Connery. They had wanted to reach out and ask Sean Connery to do, to do it, but ended up they decided not to because they felt two things. One, Sean Connery was retired at the time, uh, but you know, pull him out was he would distract from the film, pull people out of the film. And also he was also a bond. Would he even come back to play another character? That's not bond in a bond film, you know? So well, they've toyed, but they've toyed with that whole thing before that. That James Bond in and of itself is a code name. Yeah. And that, the double O status is, is just attached to the, to the code name as well. You know, it's just a code name and then they die and then there's another, another bond. And we're going to have to speculate on what, <laughs> where this is all going. I mean, I've got my theories. I think, uh, I think the hottest one still is that, is that they want to, they want to go back to a period fifties bond and reboot it. In you the think 50s. Nolan and would do would do a, a that's period? been the rumor is that he that is kind of his brainchild is that's he that's what if he's going to do Bond that's how he wants to do it he wants to do it very close adherence to the books put it back in the original per- time period of the books during the Cold War shoot it in IMAX huge huge tra- conventional stunt work that's been the that's all over Reddit that's the rumors are hot on this if they opted to do that it would be tremendous i have no doubt it would be absolutely tremendous the only thing you would have to fix is he can't <laughs> i don't think he can womanize the way <laughs> he did that gosh yeah go back and watch goldfinger and watch freaking conry <laughs> throw throw her throw pussy galore down into the barn and like put himself on top of her it's it's super awkward. It, like it's, it's one of those just, movies. It's like oh, I can't watch this anymore. This is well, I can still watch it, but like that scene's just like whoa, yeah, yeah. They'd have to like they'd have to change some sensibilities with the character, but I still think they could set it in the in the fifties if they wanted. But back to back Skyfall. To Skyfall. So so Deacons has done what with Sam Mendes. He did obviously this um, nineteen seventeen. What else did he did do with Sam Mendes? Because because Mendes apparently seems to really like the same people because he's he's worked with Thomas Newman the the composer for almost everything every movie he's done. So I think it's Sam is one of those people who just kind of finds those movies he likes and just continually uses them and uses them and uses them. Which is I mean obviously not different than a lot of people like Nolan does the same thing where he uses a lot of the same people for, for all his stuff until you snub him. And then he never talks to you ever again, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not a long list. I mean, it's okay. It's, um, it's this, it's 1917. Like I said, it's jarhead. That's right. Jarhead. And you talk about a guy that's always in constant demand. It's, it's Deacons. I mean, he gets to pick oh, yeah. what he shoots. He does not just take a job 
by the way, totally going to push that team Deacons podcast. If somebody is not listening to that podcast that Roger does with his wife, James together and they interview directors, actors, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. So team Deacons podcast is good, really good. Um, and we do, we feel like he's, he is the best working cinematographer right now. Hands down. I agree. Uh, I mean, just some of the stuff, some, some of the stuff that he's done is just absolutely. You know, it's interesting for some reason I was thinking that Deacons had done Spectre since Mendez did Spectre, but they didn't, they didn't do that together. So it was a different, um, I think he was probably working on like Sicario or hail Caesar at the time. Yep. Which Sicario is just an absolutely amazingly shot film as well. Like you could see Deacons just doing an amazing, that's the other rumored guy to direct a bond film is Denis. Denis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can see Denis doing it, but he, I mean, he's so wrapped up in Dune right now. I guess I'd have to wait till he's all done. So guess who the direct, who's guess who the DP is for Spectre? Hoyt Van Hoytema, the (laughs) Nolan's director of photography now. (laughs) So, I mean, these guys just run in the same circles. That's all that's going on. And and Hoyt, you know, Hoyt shot, obviously shot Tenet and Oppenheimer. And then he also shot, um, Ad Astra. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's. And and Dunkirk. So, um, yeah, the, the, these circles are small, especially at the top of the heap. You know, these guys are the best in their specific category um, position. Yeah, I just feel like Skyfall knows when to go really big and then mm-hmm. and then really, really small. And that's a that's just good screenwriting. And I like the fact that he's as vulnerable as Bond as kind of as he'll be in any since maybe since the original time he's like basically poisoned in casino Royale, but physically he's just falling apart. Like I love that scene with Bardem where, where he's like, (laughs) what did you get on your marksmanship score? (laughs) He's like 75. Nope. Nope. (laughs) 37 or whatever it is. He's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like 40. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like just runs down the litany of stuff that's wrong with him. And then it changes, you know? Yeah. She lied. She lied to you. Dude, oh, Bardem is something else, man. He always, always is absolutely amazing. He has as much to do with why Skyfall, why Skyfall is my favorite, because that's I think he's the best Bond villain of them all. He, he plays that I'm angry, want revenge, but I also want approval, and I'm like, and also crazy, like no one else. Like I mean, the whole thing, like when he, when he finally gets like M, you know, at one point where he's just kind of like is concerned for her well-being for a hot second. You know, you're just like, wait, wait, what? Like, like you are crazy. And Javier just, just does it so well. Just does that kind of that, that character. He plays a villain. I mean, obviously in no country, he does an amazing job. I mean, and for the five minutes since he's in and collateral, he steals the show. The way he's able to change his physicality is really quite Mm -hmm. incredible. And obviously he's got a mouth prosthetic thing in for Skyfall as Silva to kind of change, it changes the shape of his kind of his jaw and face and they bleach his hair and stuff. But even the way he carries himself is completely different from no country or anything else. Like his physicality is, he's able to 
to change that along with the performance. But yeah, I mean, and there's, there's nice little moments of levity too, too in Skyfall with him where he like, he's like all rubbing up on Daniel Craig. And, <laughs> oh, is this your first time? <laughs> Craig's like, who said it was my first time? And he's like, Oh, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Their interplay is really good. I, I don't know how they would have kept a straight face during that scene where he's like, really close to him, how they wouldn't have just been laughing through, through take yeah. after take. I'm sure there was some of that. <laughs> I'm sure there was some yeah. nice outtakes of them. The only thing that throws me in this entire movie is when M goes, takes or gets the computer or whatever, or the device from, from bond and stuff like that after, and he brings it back into like headquarters and he starts plugging it in using like, like all the systems. I'm like, like, you wouldn't do that. Like, like, like just, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're too smart. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, maybe he's like the overconfidence of, uh, you know, Q thought, you know, he could handle it and stuff or didn't expect it. But I don't know. I know enough people who do hack and they're like, no, that would never have touched our system. Like it would have been completely in its own little, like that's a total plot device to get them to have to go yeah. under to that underground, the old school facility. That's, open everything up and get, the, the original the MI6. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all that is, was a plot device to get them out of there. And it, it, I mean, worked. it worked. I don't know. But I, I was, I, in, I was probably fully invested by that point that I was just like, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Cause the I, thing and, moves at a breakneck pace. It does. And it's almost it, I mean, two and a half hour movie. I and mean, it doesn't feel it two hours, it 23. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's going to be hard, hard to top. I mean, this is like, this is where the bar is set basically for bond. And, and no time to die was a, was a yeah. good film. Like I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it felt like it was of the recent kind of final entries on some stuff. It's probably one of the better ones, to be honest. It was better than the, it was better than the final installment of the Bourne film. It was better than, uh, yeah, but this, this isn't a pod on no time to die. And, no. and we're not doing, we're not doing a Daniel Craig, um, <laughs> bond retrospective, even though that's what this is starting to sound like. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, you, you really can't talk about one without, you know, referencing some of the others. So, yeah. And it's a credit that they, you know, feel relatively well-connected. I thought quantum of solace is kind of a waste of time, but, um, the, it had it does. so much promise and just, I think it got rushed into production to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think Trying he to... said as much that the script was like basically incomplete, but it did definitely have the scariest premise about controlling water and such. So it was, that was, that's right. That, yeah. With, with solace, I was I, like that out of all of the ones like that one had the scariest premise to me, the one that, you know, kind of is happening, you know, people buying up water rights or, you know, the villains were of, weak as all get out in that yeah. one though. Oh yeah. There was a lot, it was a very flawed film. There's a lot that was wrong with that film where this one is tight. Like I honestly, I'm trying to think of like, where would I cut your, you know, your requisite 10, 20 minutes you know, need to cut. Like, I don't feel like this one needs it. No. And can I say that Naomi Harris is just tremendous in mm -hmm. all these bond films. Like she's so good. They should just keep her. <laughs> if they want to do more of them. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And I, I was, I was fine with the transition of Rafe to, to M as well. Yeah. They handled that. Well, it was a really nice send off for, for Dench. That's they played to that really well, like that whole duality of the fact that they're 
they're killing off the character, but then you as a viewer are saying goodbye to her in the role at the same time. Super manipulative, by the way, but like <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of what film is. Mm-hmm. And that really worked on both levels of like, Oh, the, you know, the, the character's dying. This is a moving moment. Oh, I'm not going to see her play M anymore either. Well, and I think that, that point exactly is kind of why I say like bond becomes bond at the end of this film. Like he, he, you know, we talk a lot about in casino Royale about, you know, he goes from, you know, getting his first two kills to falling in love and then losing kind of that trust of women at all together and kind of, you know, becoming the womanizer that, that James Bond is honestly, I feel like, the uh, Judy Dench's M is his last kind of vestige of a younger self or an, a connected person. Cause he has so much, you know, not, not love is not the right word, but he always kind of had that interplay throughout the, all the other movies with her of like going into her flat or, you know, you know, pissing her off kind of maybe not so much a mother figure, but some type of like guardian authority, you know, authority figure in his life that when you know, she dies, he's kind of done, you know, like this is, I have no more personal connections to anything. I'm just, I'm just now a weapon for, you know, for Britain kind of a thing. Right. And they let the character kind of exist in that space for quite a bit of specter before they introduce the next love interest. And then obviously no time to die is, is kind of the culmination of that Um, kind of brings the, it's kind of a nice arc because they then they bring humanity back to Bond before they close it out. So is it a little clunky along the way? Yeah, there's there's some entries that, that just don't hit quite as well as others. And Spectre is largely forgettable for me other than kind of establishing that romantic element for him. It's a pretty, pretty amazing five film run. Yeah. I mean, they have a pretty decent arc for for a James Bond character. He definitely grows from Casino to No Time to Die. So yeah, it's a nice. Cas- yeah, Casino is excellent. This one's excellent. I would say and No Time. Some other would ones be, are good. Yeah. No Time would be my third out of the the five. I yeah. think, and then I think Spectre and Solace are both kind of forgettable. Yeah. So this has turned into a retrospective of Daniel Craig as James Bond. Couldn't help ourselves. With a, fo- with a focus on Skyfall. With a focus. <laughs> with a focus on well, Skyfall. Well, thanks for helping me write the synopsis for the episode. I appreciate it. <laughs> there we go. Done. And yeah. done. and that's my contribution to the, sh- to the show. Um, so I'm going to touch really, really quick before we sign off. I want to touch base kind of what something you said earlier. I was thinking about like the whole retconning. Um, going on that happened with like Spectre or whatever, and kind of how that took you out of it. It was kind of some of the same thing with with Rises did with the storyline with with Dark Knight Rises that changed the ending of Dark Knight, that lessened and cheapened that moment of you know what you know what Batman did to kind of become the bad guy in the eyes of the town so they could have that white knight. And then that completely changes kind of gets thrown, thrown away, which then makes rises. I mean, there's a lot that I had, you know, felt was flawed with rises, but that was one of the things that really didn't like either was then like you had such this great moment that you then 
kind of diminished it in the other ones, kind of like what you're saying, like you had this great moment or this great bad guy, this villain that you then diminished, which then cheapens and lessens this film. And I mean, it's something that happens a lot in film where you go back and write kind of like, oh, we have this great idea. Oh, I mean, we need to then change. I mean, you know, we talked about the Matrix a couple of weeks ago. They did it with the, the films where at the end of the first Matrix, basically, you know, Neo is flying around. He's doing all this stuff like he's unbeatable. So how do you make that an, an interesting film where he has some type of like something that's going to hurt him if he's unbeatable in this? So you have to kind of, you know, retcon it and change it to make him. Oh, well, he did do this, but he's really not completely this yet. So and I think that sometimes you just got to move on or, you know, let it lie. Just you don't need to add anything more, more stuff. Just change it up. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think a screenwriter's particularly obsessed with the previous entry influencing what they're working on. Not when you're under deadline and you're just, you're trying to get something good. I, I don't think that thought process occurs very often unless, unless it was a trilogy that was completely pre-planned, which so few are not everything can be Lord of the Rings and most studios aren't willing to risk, risk it all to do two or three movies at the same time anymore anyway. So yeah, things kind of do get affected, but yeah, you're right. That was the big one was, was Silva just not, not being quite the dangerous, like freelancing guy that they portrayed him to be. So. Just a, just another pawn. Yeah, it just it did it didn't make sense. Doesn't doesn't fit who we saw in Skyfall at all. So it's not even a good like it's it's a bad retcon because it damages it, but it's not even really justified. So that's it, fine. These are just movies. I can still enjoy Skyfall. I don't have to worry yeah. about <laughs> the like it. We can, we can just have Skyfall be the end. That's it. They're done. You know. There we go. And he moves on. Don't need to watch Spectre in no time. Because honestly speaking, Skyfall does have that feeling of completeness, of like end of the Daniel Craig story, you know, Bond storyline. It doesn't feel like it. Like, I don't really feel there's much in the way of, you know, left left open for more stuff. No, I mean, like I guess the- they, left, they left Spectre hanging out there, but the fact that they've largely ignored it for a whole movie is kind of wild. Mm-hmm. They must have been that strong of believers in the script that they had with, and having Javier attached to say, well, we don't, we don't really even need to address Spectre for a full film. Cause we've got this, this is so compelling. So it's a good one. It's a good one. They got their work cut out for them. We'll see. We'll see where, we'll it goes see where we here. go from here. Yeah. Any words of parting words of wisdom on Skyfall? No, that if you have what that would be, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, just you know, in response to uh, the word Skyfall, done, done, (laughs) the word association game or whatever you're talking about. That's what he said. He's just like, Skyfall, done, done, good stuff. All right, man. Well, we are gonna sign off and uh, we will be back next week with another episode. What is it? I'd, I probably know, but I don't know because 
there's enough of these in the can that we just get to pick at random what uh, whatever with a dartboard. We're just like, okay, we do work ahead. We do work ahead. We do not. uh, I think we've got quite a few of these. By the time this was recorded, there was Mm -hmm. uh, quite a stuff, few things in the hopper. So we do appreciate everybody listening, though. And um, thank you. The big the big takeaway for for this podcast that we want is we want you to watch more movies and then we want you to have more fun conversations about movies and that's all this is about and uh go see something good yeah thanks everybody